Welcome to A Little Louder Now, a, a podcast produced by the Bridge Initiative, an FI360 project. My name is Kelly, and I'd like to welcome my colleague for today's podcast, Alex. Hey, Kel. Hello. This is This Month in Women's History. We are in July, and today we are talking about Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Mm-hmm. So um, we're talking about Elizabeth Cady Stanton this month because she was the primary architect of the first Women's Right Convention held on July 19th in 1848. Elizabeth was an early leader of the women's rights movement and authored the Declaration of Sentiments, which was a call to arms for equality between the genders. She was a women's rights activist, feminist, editor, and writer. Also, fun fact, did you know that there is a battleship that was used during World War II that was named after Elizabeth Cady Stanton? I did not know that, but I want a battleship named after me. That's I, I know. That's pretty badass. I, yeah. Like, we, especially for World War II because... Um, I mean, she was born in, like, the mid-1800s, mm-hmm. and that was the early 1900s, so her, the effect that she had was, like, so greatly recognized so early and so quickly is absolutely amazing. I wonder if, like, you can, like, tour it today. I or think if, it's... Or if it got destroyed. <laughs> I think it's named something else now, oh, that's which is pretty disappointing, but, uh, I don't know. We'll have to find out. More facts to come on that. Yes, more to come on the USS Elizabeth C. Stanton. Um, anyway, let's talk about let's talk about Elizabeth. I'm going to talk about her early life and her early marriage. Um, so she was born in November 1815 in Johnstown, New York, to the most prominent citizens of the city. Um, her father was a slave owner and a prominent attorney, also a congressman and judge, and he really exposed his daughter early on in life to the study of law and other. Uh, were they like like male domains at that point in time? Mm-hmm. Um, she, he, he really gave her such this like informal legal education by talking um, with her and listening in on his conversations with colleagues and, and clerks and other guests that came to their house. And this the exposure that that her dad gifted her really lit a fire within Elizabeth to remedy laws that were unjust to women so that being said she she did marry an abolitionist lecturer lecturer rather henry stanton in 1840 and she too became active in the anti-slavery movement and she worked alongside um, other leading abolitionists of the day including sarah and angelina grimke and william lloyd garrison and then, while she was on her honeymoon in London, she attended a world slavery convention, and she met fellow abolitionist Lucretia Mott, who, also like her, was angry about the exclusion of women at the proceedings. Um, and, and Elizabeth and Lucretia Mott, they became really fast friends and vowed to call a women's rights convention when they returned home. She was working on her honeymoon. Working, yeah. Who does that? And it's a shame, too, because London is an amazing city. I mean, I'm kind of biased. You are, (laughs) because you studied in London, and you worked in London. Yes. Um, So, and even back then, I'm sure it was pretty pretty amazing. Um, But yeah, I mean, that just shows her dedication to the causes and everything she was advocating for. She's like, yeah, I just got married, but I don't care. I'm going to go to this... (laughs) 
World Anti-Slavery Convention and, you know, make friends and then talk about what they want to do to change the future for women, which is pretty incredible. And it, I think it also shows, too, like how um, strong their marriage probably was. The fact that this was something that they both were so passionate about and yeah. they kind of made it their career together kind of like as a couple when you look at it. Yeah, you're totally right. Um, that's, that's a really good point, actually. Um, so, Lucretia Mott and, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, they... They really believed, um, and I think something that that really bonded them and and tied their friendship together was they really believed that women couldn't do much to change their position in life unless they could actually affect change in the law. And to change law, they really needed the right to vote. And that was really the turning point for Elizabeth. And she really dedicated herself, um, sort of as of there, to gaining women the right to vote and it it took them eight years but in 1848 Stanton and Mott held the first as you said earlier the first women's rights convention at Seneca Falls in New York Um, they had they had 300 women and men attend and um, that to me seems crazy for 1848 as a conference planner like how did they make that possible like just because they don't have any of, like, the technology we have nowadays. Like, everything I do, I can look through online, like, to right. find venues, booking, um, spread the word, like, advertisements. Meanwhile, like, back then, like, pretty much all of that was probably word of mouth. Right. Maybe some runs in major publications throughout the country, but still were probably limited just because people don't have as easily means to travel. Like, right. most people, I mean, I don't even think the car was fully invented by 1848. I I think it was so, like, I think it was, like, horse and carriage still. Like, everyone was, like, still, I think that was, like, wasn't until, like, the early 1900s, so. I I feel like you're probably right on that. Or maybe even, like, trains, but still, like, I feel like probably, like, not the average men men and women could attend. It was probably more for the higher class because they had the means for transportation. but The wealthy, but still, like, 300 people, I think, is absolutely amazing back for 1848, like, from a conference standpoint that's pretty cool absolutely yeah 300 people and it was not just women it was Mm -hmm. 300 women and men i don't know the exact breakdown of that um but yeah 300 people is a lot for 1848 um so at this women's rights convention um elizabeth katie stanton she authored the declaration of sentiments which expanded on the declaration of independence primarily by adding the word woman or women throughout it. Um, It really called for some social and legal changes to elevate women's place in society. And um, she listed 18 grievances from that, like they ranged from the inability rather to control their wages and property um, or the difficulty in gaining custody and divorce to the lack of the right to vote. Um, And after all of the resolutions, passed unanimously with little to no amendment there was only one that didn't and that was women's suffrage but the one thing that moved the attendees was the noted black abolitionist and orator frederick Douglass. he he spoke that woman like the slave had the right to liberty and that kind of um it helped the people at the conference or or the what's it called 
convention to pass uh, the grievance about women's suffrage. It really puts it into perspective. Yeah. Because I think maybe back in that time, people thought women had had rights and were considered somewhat equal to mm-hmm. their male counterparts. But it's like, realistically, they weren't. Like They were property. They were property. Like, mm-hmm. there were still... Dowries were still existing at this time and things yeah. like that. And meanwhile, like, it's just, it's just crazy to, like, think about it in that perspective. Because once again, this is still less than 200 years ago. Right. Like, and it's to think, like, if I was to get married in this day and age and my parents had to provide a dowry... It's kind of laughable. Cows. My neighbors do. (laughs) We don't, but my neighbors have cows and they have mini horses. So, for those of you who can't see, Jen is who's doing sound is like all about this right now and like freaking out. It's pretty great. Our dowries. Our dowries. Maybe maybe they would be willing to like lend me some. (laughs) Actually, I have my grandmother just gave me uh, a cedar chest from her grandmother that was part of her trousseau. And it had, you know, they, they packed it full of, I don't know what they called them back then, but like linens or lingerie, I, I'm calling it lingerie, it probably was not called that back then. Like, you know, things mm. to, to, for your wedding, for your wedding night, for your early days of marriage, mm-hmm. um, little baby things I think went in them. And uh, I found a lace, like, handkerchief um, in it that my great-great-grandmother uh, embroidered. Oh, that's initials. awesome. Yeah. Isn't that cool? But anyway, back to mm-hmm. Elizabeth Cady. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after, after, in 1848, after they held the first Women's Rights Convention, the movement expanded and women's rights conventions were regularly held from 1850 up until the start of the Civil War all over the country, and some of them, some of those uh, conventions drew such large crowds that people actually had to be turned away. That's awesome. Right? I think that's so amazing. I'm just imagining, like, the police at the time riding horses, like, telling everyone they need to go. Right. In their riot gear. Yeah, in their riot, yeah. (laughs) Um, And Stanton really, she, she really remained committed to efforts to gain property rights for married women and ending slavery but the women's suffrage movement increasingly became her top priority um, and especially so when she met Susan B. Anthony in 1851 and the two quickly began to collaborate on speeches, articles, books, etc. Their intellectual and organizational partnership really dominated the women's movement for over half a century. And a little bit later in life when Elizabeth had her seven children and when she wasn't able to travel due to her familial obligations, she would actually write speeches for Susan B. Anthony to deliver. I think that's just so interesting because, like, I mean, when you think women's suffrage, you think Susan B. Anthony. Like, yep. she's the face of it. And I've never even really knew until we were doing the research on Elizabeth how her tie was to that. So that's kind of cool and it makes me wonder how many of the speeches that, like, she's been like Susan B. Anthony's been given credit for like mm-hmm. is, did Elizabeth help write that and it's just a lot of like behind the scenes background stuff you don't always get to hear about so I thought that was just really cool um especially because once they like how you said they had she had her children she had her familial um obligations they let her uh the Stantons moved to Brooklyn and New York City 
um, where they were involved in a lot of the Civil War efforts. And um, she also joined Anthony to advocate for the 13th Amendment, which did end slavery. Then um, in 1866, they lobbied against the 14th Amendment and 15th Amendment, giving black men the right to vote because the amendments didn't give the right to vote to women as well. I don't, uh, I don't know if I would have the, the cojones to do that. If I could, if I could lobby against something because mm-hmm. it didn't, I don't know. That's I don't know. That's a little spiteful. Yeah, it's it kind of is because you think about it, they're all trying to get equality, and especially too because it's kind of like the quote um, from Frederick Douglass: "Like women, like the slave, had the right to liberty." And I'm right. Probably the majority of those men um, were probably slaves or former slaves. So right. It, kind of is you have to put that's interesting i didn't think about that you have to put that into perspective yeah the hypocrisy is very interesting to me that is anyway Um, back to the 1860s (laughs) so yeah in the late 1860s um there actually was a rift between the suffrage movement so stanton and anthony felt deceived and um they decided to establish the national women's suffrage association in 1869 which focused on women's suffrage efforts at the national level And then a few months later, some of their formal um, peers created the American Women's Suffrage Association, which focused on a women's suffrage um, at a state level. So it was for about almost 20 years where they kind of were Mm -hmm. separate. Um, They were just working at the two different levels. Then finally, by 1890, Anthony was was able to reunite the two associations into the National American Women's Suffrage Association. Um, and Stanton was at the helm. And by 1896, four states had secured women's suffrage. Um, so kind of in the later years of Stanton's life, uh, she co-authored the first three volumes of The History of Women's Suffrage. And in 1895, she and a committee of women published the Woman's Bible to point out the Bible's bias towards women and challenge its stance that women should be submissive to men. <laughs> yeah, I... When we were doing research for this, mm. I read about all the backlash that that she and I think it was her daughter that wrote it with her mm-hmm. that they received. There was backlash from like literally every corner of the women's suffrage movement for them critiquing the Bible. I mean, back then, like people were still extremely yes religious and it was mainstream. Yeah, I mean, religion, religion and state were still kind of tied together, even though they were bit, supposed yeah. to be separate. They still kind of were. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. mm -hmm. There are plenty of examples in the Bible. We won't get into any of this, but there are plenty of examples in the Bible of, you know, the patriarchy and, you know, men... uh, It's a facepalm moment. Being dominant. It's a a facepalm moment. Let's just go with that. tie it up with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, and then despite her declining health um, towards the end of the 1890s, um, she still continued to fight for women's suffrage, and um, she did publish her own autobiography called 80 Years and More in 1898, and then in 1902, um, on October 26th, she died from heart failure. And then it wasn't until almost two decades after her death, um, her vision finally became true with the passing of the 19th Amendment on August 18th, 1920, which guaranteed American women the right to vote. Yeah, though she she never actually gained the right to vote in her lifetime, Elizabeth's legacy 
she she left behind a legion of feminist crusaders who carried her torch and ensured that her decades-long struggle wasn't in vain. Mm-hmm. You, talking about, you know, the right to vote, you know, that's such an inherent thing that I feel like a lot of people really take uh, take for granted. And I know that, especially people in our generation, you know, we're in the, the millennial generation, people don't think about it. Mm-hmm. They don't think that, you know, 100 years ago, women didn't have the right to vote. Do you remember what it was like to vote for the first time? I do. The first time I voted was for Obama's second election because mm-hmm. I was I was too young for the first one, and um, it was just something like you're doing your civic duty. Like yeah. I felt like it's something I had to do. I have to educate myself on who's running and make what make an educated decision based off of what I believe with personally and who I aligned with and things like that. But um, I don't like it when people think it's, like, a chore. Like, right. it's, like, it's not a chore. Like, these are the people who are leading our country in the free world. So it, it really is important. I know people are like, oh, my one vote doesn't matter, but every vote matters. Yes, every vote does matter. Every vote does count. I, I am a big proponent of doing your civic duty and voting, and I don't – I just really don't understand people that don't vote. That's mm-hmm. just me personally. But I – and I remember what it was like to vote for the first time. I – Mine was the previous election mm-hmm. than that. I uh, I made the cutoff by like a year, I think, mm-hmm. um, to vote for the first Obama election. Um, and I was actually, I was in studying abroad during that time. So I had to cast an absentee ballot. So I didn't actually even get to go mm-hmm. to the polls um, and do it and get my sticker that said I voted. And, you know, I wear that sticker with pride all day. They should day. send that in the mail, even if you vote absentee. I agree. I want my sticker. We should I add voted. that to the, the comments box the next time we vote, if that's an option. Absolutely, we should. Stickers for everyone. Stickers for everyone who votes. But I think that it's it's so... it's. I think it's cool to vote. I think that mm-hmm. it's really cool to... Even the local elections are important. Like, they are. They affect you. They affect your taxes and things like that. And people, I just don't think, think about those things. I no. think everyone just kind of gets caught up in the hype of the presidential election because... These, the politics of yes. it all. Yeah. But meanwhile, it's like, the ones in your hometown affect you probably even more than the presidential. Maybe. On a certain level. Maybe. On certain things. But I think it's just, whether it's local, state, government, presidential, they're all important and people should get out there and vote. Absolutely. No. Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, she once said that the history of the past is but one long struggle upward toward equality. Do you feel like we're, we're still struggling? Have we... 100% still struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's going to continue to struggle. I don't think this is something like women's equality and minorities equality. I don't think it's mm-hmm. something that's going to be solved in our lifetime. As I hate to say that, but I think it's going to take a while for just stereotypes and people's mindsets to change i mean we need to look at it it changes with each generation like each generation passes on different values than the one before them so i think it's going to take time um i would it'd be great if it could change but in our lifetime but i really think this is gonna be a very long movement it's not one that'll happen overnight i agree but like like we were saying earlier you know, part of Elizabeth Cady Stanton's legacy is that she really left behind these 
all of these um, these crusaders who carried her torch to ensure you know women's suffrage and I feel like a lot of a lot of women have and men have picked that up and kind of adapted that crusade into the crusade for other avenues of equality for women you know equal pay equal rights mm-hmm. you know we still haven't passed the ERA yeah I think the torch is just it's still it being keeps passed going. yeah mm-hmm. I think it's it's still being passed and it's just gonna take some time and I'm glad that I'm glad that we all as a as a bridge committee have have picked up that mm-hmm. torch and we're kind of doing our own little small part to move the the, the movement uh forward a little bit it's just trying to move that needle just a little bit closer each time. And then also for more information regarding the women's rights movement, you can check out our podcast um, episode on the history of the women's rights movement featuring our colleague and legal counsel, uh, Sarah Hauk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for spending your time with us. Again, this is a little louder now by the Bridge Initiative. Thank you, Alex, for this great conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time with me today to talk about the amazing Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Stay tuned for more podcasts featuring great and trailblazing women. If you have questions, topic ideas, or you'd like to join the Bridge Initiative community, email us at bridge at fi360.com. You can also support the podcast without spending a dime by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, we want you all to get a little louder now.